What's up, everybody? Another episode of The Straight Cut coming to you from Weston's Gars Conway. Oh, yeah. In the members' lounge. Yes, we are. I'm Aaron. This is Mark. And I'm Josh. (laughs) We caught him off guard. It's been a rough start. (laughs) Where, you know, it's like, you know. In my defense, you haven't made the last 15 (laughs) run-ups. So I I thought I had time. (laughs) Whenever... Whenever you're playing, like, at home, you're used to, like, the surroundings. Like, this is still home, but this is, like, home alternate two. Like, it does, it does feel is, weird. It yeah. feels this different. This is a home I haven't been to in about six months. It's been a while since I've been up here. It's been at least probably two months. Um, so, if it is a little echoey, we've worked on a few things. We've got some new insulation and yeah, shit. Some soundproofing, and yeah. Some soundproofing, but we are in a bigger area, so... It's a lot more like intimate into the mic tonight. Uh, polished concrete floors do not do anything for us. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's actually probably more the vaulted ceilings. <laughs> yeah, so you got double the double the height ceilings. We had to like improvise with the, uh, what is this called? Uh, I call it a whoopee, but it's, an, it's just an army blanket. It's a blanket? <laughs> yeah, but there was a certain name. I want to get the, I want to get the name right. Yeah, it's a, we call blanket. it a whoopee. Yeah. yeah. So tonight is... Another run at our leadership show. Yeah, uh, we're having Josh on for this one, talking about yep. everything. So we're 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 breaking into a box of cigars that I got last year, um, thanks to our friends up at La Cutera, up in KC, yep. uh, Swinney, Ben, Mike, uh, all them. So we're actually we broke in finally the Craft 2020 box, the 2021. For the the record, we should say that you broke into the Craft 2020. (laughs) Finally. Finally. I've had him for... I got about three left. I got like maybe four. I've had him for, I guess right out of year, because 2021 just came out. Thereabouts. Um, I just never found a reason to break him... Break it open because I, you, you know what, everybody knows. You know what it was for me? It was a Tuesday. <laughs> it's a t- just a random Tuesday. I have a F problem. It, it's a Tuesday. I need to get, if, if, if there's like an AA for like people who hoard cigars, that is me. Like I opened it the next day. Oh, you probably smoked them all. No, 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 no. But I did invite people over and I shared. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I'm sitting in the middle and I'm in the middle because I actually let them age for three or four months because they were a limited. So I let, them, I let them age for a full year. I always try year. to let LEs age a little. Well, I have, I need AA too, but a different kind of AA. <laughs> right. I have exactly. no control. Right. You have uh, too much control. I have too much control. I need right. to let loose then. I need to like reverse AA. What's that? Just a, a, a wild it, Friday reverse night. Reverse AA is still AA. It's W <laughs> with a line through it. <laughs> So, okay, here's the thing with Craft 2020. We really don't know what the blend is because yeah. they're not going to disclose it. Filled um, with tobacco. Yeah, honestly, you can do that. Um, but Thank the wrapper is, it's a combination of Connecticut Broadleaf, Ecuadorian Connecticut and Habano, and Mexican San Andreas. The yeah. binder and filler are undisclosed, um, but it's like two wrapped and then with accents. So they're very pretty. They're kind of like... A, a poor man's Unico series. Wow. Yeah. Uh, a real poor man's. I mean, because yeah. those Unico ones, not because these aren't bad cigars. And yeah. they're, they were pricey. I want to say, yeah. Sure. These were like. I think they were 13 a pop or something yeah, 13, like that. Yeah. I, think, I think we got those a little Unicorns bit homie like, hookup, but uh, yeah, those Unicos are like, what, 35 a pop? Right. Yeah, something like that. Right. 30, so, and those Unicos are beautiful. 
Um, but once again, too pretty to smoke. I've got one of those. I, yeah, I, I haven't. I can't smoke it. I can't bring myself yeah. to do it. Uh, I've, I've smoked every one I've ever had. Really? Oh, yeah. can't do it. So we're starting off I'm with shocked. this. I'm shocked. I just don't know what to say, Josh. I don't know what to say. Dude, life is too short. I smoke them. I don't I know what you want from me. I agree with you, but on those, I, it's just no. Although in St. Louis, we smoked the weird one-off mm. thing. See, I still, have, I still have that. I haven't smoked that yet. Yeah. And and that was really cool because it was like a shark on the side. Oh, it was okay. like pretty cool. badass, and it was like in a trumpet shape, and then it had a weird cut. Yeah, angle. it's on a cut on a bias. I've <laughs> seen those. That's Marrero. It was cut on a bias. Yeah, it was yeah, Marrero. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were really really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think the one you gave me has like some Candela. Yeah, on it. I gave you the Candela one. So so this is the. It, the you wonder what I was. Just, I wonder if it burned straight. Mine burned like Some, yeah. Pe- people were saying like it burnt immaculately, and mm-hmm. it tasted great. Yeah. And it was like Kevin, who then said, got about halfway through and said, "So these are going on the site." And Chris said <laughs> from LCC said, "Oh, I forgot to tell you, they quit making these like 500 years ago, yeah. and they only made seven of them when they were." <laughs> and like you're smoking the last ones that exist. So you telling me that just like I'm not going to smoke. Oh that no, no, I understand. See, that would make me want to smoke it more, right? Because then I can tell people about the cigar that I smoke that you'll never get to smoke. True. We sounds smoked like, sounds it. Like a, sounds like a show. We, were we smoked it at piloting. the Union Station, <laughs> something or other Plaza, AstroTurf by the pool in St. Louis, and we all smoked it, and I was th- and. Uh, Tanya was trying to overserve me, uh, whatever. So it was pretty memorable. <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah. So this is the cigar one for the night. Right. We have another one in case we need to get to it. I'm going to assume we probably will. So we'll just yeah. we'll we'll just that, that's just a tease. We'll we'll, we'll say what it is yeah. once we fire that up. Because this is like a, a Corona. So they it's a Corona Gordon. It burns. Not that you have any idea. These actually burn pretty quickly. Yeah, you have. So no I, I have. Yeah. I have had one. Uh, Swinney gave me one when I went up to Casey. I got one of his. Oh, so okay. it's a five five and three quarter by forty six. Um, <laughs> this is my ideal size. Me too. This yep. thing is perfect size wise. And our number two cigar kind of fits that vein too. But yeah, enough said. Yeah. Yep. So, um, Mark, what are we doing, Aaron? <laughs> uh, so uh, we've done the leadership thing. Um, this will be uh, number four, I believe. We had um, Mike and Tim on. We had uh, nope. This will be number five. five yeah. we had Chris Doc, on. Doctor Chris. Yeah. Doctor <clears throat> Doctor Chris on. We had Nigel on, and then we had Stephen on. Um, and each one have brought a different perspective uh, to this um, conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, we always joke when we're doing reviews and all that stuff. And I think that does you a disservice because we've had some really deep conversations. I know you're, for a young man, um, you've had a lot of experience in leadership. So um, we were going to talk leadership tonight from a couple different angles. Um, But let's start with um, what got you involved in leadership. What is your, you know, where, you know, where are you, you know, where did you start? What, what interested you about leadership? Um, well, like most young men in the South, I, I probably got involved in, in leadership uh, through, through the church, um, growing up in, in the church. Uh, I had a lot of positive uh, male role models, and I had positive female role models too, but, but you, tend to, you tend to look at that a little bit differently. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I might have 
early, early on, but I don't know. Uh, my father passed when I was a kid, like really, really young, like too young to remember uh, car accident and all, and all that. So my, my father figures came from that organization. Um, and so that's kind of where I got to see them performing in a leadership role. And uh, that was, you know, always what I, what I aspired to, to be like. And, and I saw those guys being, you know, family men, and, and I'm not going to get too much into the, the religious side of it, but, but leaders in, in the church as an organization. Absolutely. And, so, and so that being what it was, uh, I also had positive role models outside of the church, and, and those role models were always in some form of military law enforcement. Uh, okay. I had role models who were, were veterans, uh, role models who were like federal-level law enforcement, Homeland Security and FBI, uh, both retired and, and still uh, functioning. And so uh, I was friends with their kids. And I got to, you know, in, in South Arkansas, we have a very rural area, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of hunting and fishing stuff. Absolutely. You learn um, kind of what, I, I say, what right looks like. And that's, that's a military thing people talk about. What, what does right look like? Um, and so I, I learned what right looked like at a really early age and always wanted to sort of fit that pattern. Absolutely. In in school, in college, it was always implied. Like if we're if we're doing something, I want to be I want to be at the front. Uh, now you and Caleb went to college at the, to the same college. We did. Yeah, yeah. Caleb and I went through the same program um, at Harding in Searcy. Um, we both were religious studies majors, right. uh, focusing in ministry. And uh, Caleb, I don't remember if which which specific area of of focus he had uh, but mine was uh, specifically like direct pulpit ministry so a lot a lot of orating a lot of writing a lot of in-depth study um, and less focus on maybe like community outreach and that type of thing okay so you know you you work through a program like that so many people are are good examples of of leadership yeah so many people are good examples of you know sit up straight, talk clearly, uh, say what you mean, mean what you say, be clear, concise, to the point. Uh, and <laughs> that was, you know, it, it, I, I remember Great lessons. My, my sophomore year, I, I went to my mom. I was doing a mission trip in the Philippines. I was going for nine weeks. Uh, we got a UN grant for that mission trip that we vied for, went to Boston and competed for. Um, and we went and did that. It was all sustainable development stuff. Uh, which was something in a third world country they really didn't do a lot of. It's it's day to day out there, and uh, so anyways, that being what it was, I told her when I get back from the Philippines, uh, I'm going to basic three days after I get back from the Philippines, and she was like, "You're nuts! You're just you're absolutely crazy." And I had made that decision. I made that call, um, one to pay for school, so sure. I graduated with no student debt, which I have no regrets about. Um, but two, because at that time in my life, I saw the military as a place where I could make a difference. Um, Absolutely. I saw people who were motivated. They knew what loyalty and they knew what hard work and dedication could, could basically build for you. Uh, guys who understood discipline and focus really well. And I thought, I don't know what it was, just one day it just kind of hit me. I was like, that would be a, all those traits would be a really good place to show these guys something that they may not have experienced before. 
And so I went to talk to the ROCC program, got slated for a scholarship, had good grades, and I went to the Philippines for nine weeks, came back, had three days stateside, and, and then went to, uh, I went off to, uh, to do the, the initial training. So is our so. ROTC basic the same as full bore you mm-hmm. enrolled it's but it's it's different yeah for sure okay. uh it's it's shorter because you do it during during the summer between your your sophomore and junior year okay um but it is it's still that intensive training environment you still you still have drill sergeants right uh you're still you're still getting smoked all the time you're still not sleeping very much it's heavy field okay uh, so it i think they've and i may or may not should say this but i will anyways i think things have softened up a bit um <laughs> Because no, you can say that. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I, I just think from what I've heard of the people that went into it after me, uh, I think some sure. of the standards have laxed. They don't have to walk both both ways uphill. Well, I just know like there are certain physical gated events that are that no are, longer a requirement. Okay, and yeah, that were a requirement when I did it. And know. ROTC is Army, right? There are multiple. I, I think every All branch branches, has an ROTC. But you went into the Army. I went through the Army. Yeah, right. And I I did it uh, split up. And then we'll split up. It's simultaneous membership. And so I was simultaneously enlisted in the National Guard and going through ROTC in college. So I still drilled on the weekends as a cadet, but during the week I was a full-time student. Okay. And so that was great because I got real-world experience before I ever commissioned. I got to see, again, what right looked like. Yeah. I got to work with senior guys, guys who had been on combat deployments, guys who had 20 years of experience. Yeah. And see what it looked like to be correct. So Harding is up here in Little Rock, so they have it's in Cersei. It's in Cersei. So, um, and it's so so the the guard is based out of the uh, here. The Arkansas guard is based out of Camp Robinson, which is Camp in Little Robinson. Rock. Yeah, okay. I've always, okay. I've almost always been attached to the unit in Batesville, though. Okay, uh, that's my my home unit. I did a brief stint up they in northeast Robinson. Arkansas. Okay, but uh, Batesville's where, where I and I'm going to show ignorance, but. Then again, not everybody here is from there. Where's Batesville from here? Uh, it's northeast. If you, you know where Bald Knob is? Roughly. It's, it's about 10 miles north of Searcy. Batesville, okay. like, it's a little jagged where it is, but it, it sort of splits the difference between Searcy and Jonesboro. It's a little more west than that, but, yeah, it splits so when, the difference between the two. So when you're young and you're, you're going to college, yeah. you're – you're going full bore towards being um, behind the pulpit. Sounds that was, like that was sounds like the goal. That was the initial plan. Yes, yeah. That that and shifted a bit while I was in school. And you're going to R two C, and you're do, you're doing the guard. Yeah. Really. Um, and, and and listen, we all do college. Well, those of us who go to college. Right. And. When you're 20, if you know what the hell you're going to end up doing, I mean, you're, I mean, now I would even say if this is what you end up doing 20 years from now, um, I'll, I'll be somewhat surprised, right? Because things change, right? Yeah, I, I found the reason I backed away from the pulpit ministry side of things is I, uh, I kind of went to a dark place in school, you know, I, I, uh, I got to a point where I realized while I was doing ministry internship uh, that there were people that had real, real problems that I had no idea how to deal with. Yeah. And no amount of um, education could offset my inexperience. 
could offset offset my uh, my naive young young guy side, and so I uh, you know I, I didn't know what it was like to to help a twenty year family do marriage counseling because they were thinking about getting a divorce and they had two kids. Like, I had no idea. That's tough. And, yeah. and, and so that's where I kind of went, all right, maybe, maybe we need to step back and, and reevaluate. Yeah. And, and so many guys know just enough to get themselves into trouble. Uh, and there are guys that are fabulous at it right out of school. That just wasn't me. Yeah. And so that was just, that was kind of why we made that call. I understand. Did you grow up in a military household? Uh, my grandfather is a World War II veteran. He's 96. Wow. Uh, and my other grandfather uh-huh. is 90, and he was denied service. But uh, my, my great uncle, his brother, who I was around quite a bit too, he's a, he's a vet too. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and then... But I, that, I wasn't had, a, that wasn't a goal. Uh, no, no, not really. I, you know, all, all guys think about it as kids. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna play army or stuff like that. Yeah. Sure, oh, and, sure. And especially if you grew up like I grew up in a military household. Yeah. I um, mean, my dad was a sailor. My brother's still in. He's a lifer. Yeah. And he's a command sergeant major. So that's yep. it, you know how I mean since you know the rank, you know how long he's been in. Oh well, yeah. So it's just like it was one. Of, I assumed that's what I was gonna do as well, but it just didn't go that way. But uh, I didn't. I wasn't really. It wasn't an everyday deal. I just, uh, I don't know. I saw an organization that I thought I would fit well in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the traits that those guys had, I was like, yeah, I think I could do that. And it's shaped up a lot better than I ever thought it would. But, yeah. So you, because uh, we've talked about this, um, you've, not only, you've not only gone in and found fellow um, um, people who who share the same beliefs, but mm-hmm. you've you've found success in there, um, yeah. and so what do you you know? Uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not asking you to brag about yourself. I'm no. going to do that in a second. But you're, what are you doing now? You you you're you know. So so give me yeah. uh, uh, before we circle back and talk about you know your your leadership buildup, but. You know, what are you doing now with them? Yeah, uh, so I'm, a, I'm an infantry officer in, in the Arkansas National Guard. Uh, I'm an executive officer, which is like, uh, if you will, second in command of an infantry company. So I have a company commander, and then I'm like the next level down from that. So, okay. so you have a, the basic officer progression in the infantry is, is from platoon leader to executive officer, and then you have some kind of staff position thrown in to give you more of the administrative side. Sure, fill out, how to fill out paperwork. Exactly. And, yep. then, and then you roll into company command, right? And so the command is typically a captain. Okay. Uh, but regardless, uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I spent uh, almost four years as a, as a platoon leader, uh, which is longer than normal. Uh, but, you know, I enjoy... You also became a platoon leader younger than normal, correct? Uh I was pretty well on pace, honestly. Really? Okay. Yeah, I was. I was pretty well on pace. It, it was you just, feel young to me in that role? Because I mean, how old are you now? Twenty. Twenty-five. Yeah, you're twenty-five. That's so. That's about right. I mean, okay. I, I guess I commissioned in eighteen, but I was in a platoon leader slot as a cadet because there was a vacancy there. Right. Um, so I, I was doing PL stuff before okay. then. But but regardless, uh, I spent a little bit longer in in that slot than than most people do. But I loved every second of it. 
because anybody who tells you as an officer that PL is not the best job as a young officer, as an officer in general, they're lying to you. Like that's, it's the best job because you have so much soldier on soldier interaction. You have the, you have the ability to, to dictate training. You have the ability to really get to know your guys one-on-one because I had like 45 dudes. Well, now as an XO, I have 84 dudes. It's hard to know what those guys' family lives are like. It's hard to know what they do for work. You know, you, you track them as they roll through, but like 84 hard is to connect to it's not a small number. Uh, and so as a PL, like you sleep with these guys in the, in the same general vicinity. Like I'm, I'm like could be laying next to a 20-year, a you know, combat veteran. Like, right. So like, I know about him. How In the guard, how, I mean, that, you hit 20-year-old. So yeah. obviously young guys because you're a young guy, mm-hmm. but also, you know, because I know guard guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, in Springfield there was a guard, it was an Air Force guard yep. unit. Because it was, mm-hmm. a, you know, the Air Guard. Um, but there were 30-year-old guys. There were 40-year-old guys. There were, you know, there was a lot of guys. And they some have been there for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have guys who are 17, 18, fresh out of high school type dudes. I really, I don't think I have any 17-year-olds right now. But I have, I definitely have some 18-year-olds. And, uh, and I've got guys that are in their mid to late 30s. I think I've got a, uh, I know I've got one guy for sure who's over 40. Um, but like those guys were privates and specialists in theater in yep. Operation Iraqi Freedom Two back in like oh three to oh five. Yep. So and they've been they they did you know Afghanistan in oh eight. They did another tour in like fourteen. Like these guys have been there. They've done the overseas. And, and I'm like working stuff. in a position of like directly supervising and dictating you know what what happens day to day with these guys who have so much more experience than I do. Yeah, but they've also probably have a lot of experience taking uh, direction and, you know, you think of experience as I'm only going to do it this way, but the funny part about experience is you also, if you, you know, you've worked, you also have got experience taking direction, right? So some of those guys... They, they get, you get, when you get older, you get the reputation of, I only, you know, I'm, I'm hard to work with. Some of those people are some of the easiest to work with because yeah. they realize you got a job to do. I got a job to do. <clears throat> Let's get it done. Well, and so, some of that is true. Like you got the, the crustier dudes who it's my way or the highway and, and you have to deal with that and work with that. But the sure. thing about those guys is they, they get it done. They, and they know what like, they're doing. No questions asked. Yeah. And so you can give them like super broad strokes, very vague, like just basic mission intent execution. Here you go. And it may look nothing like what you expected it to, but the result is the same. Right. And that's all you really care about in the end. Under the classification works, works. Exactly. Yeah. No doubt. So you, you're, you're in college. I mean, obviously you, you, you're an, you're what I refer to as a natural leader. You sort of have that air about you of somebody who has confidence and appears to know what they're doing because, in general, they do. I assume you <clears throat> have always had a desire to, to – I don't want to see be in charge because that's the wrong word, but you were naturally drawn to the front. Yeah, I like to, I like to take hold. Uh, it, that's as much a blessing as it is a curse in some ways because, yep. you know, control can be a vice. Um, it is, and sometimes you just can't control stuff. But we well, have that. You have that type A. Yeah, I've, it's always been. I mean, you know, you, student government, class president, all yeah. that hoo ha stuff. 
but like you you kind of own it at a certain point and so yeah you're you're right yep so with the guard was it was it always your intention to be to to move up um and yeah i never i never planned on being active duty i i flirted with the idea for a little bit but uh i honestly i love where i live yeah i i really like arkansas i've lived here my whole life my family's here um you know three four generations of us are, are still here and so i want to be close to them but i frankly i just love the state and and i wanted to be able to like i remember when valonia got knocked over in 2014 by that tornado yeah. and and the ice storm in northeast arkansas in like 2011 2012 like they activated the national guard and those guys went in and made a real difference yep. in, in the lives of people that for all i know i might be living next to yeah and and so like that was that was part of my motivation for sure well and that's the part about the guard that i think a lot of people don't unless you have been touched in one of those moments you don't appreciate how much the guard does that sort of thing. I mean, that when when you deploy overseas, mm-hmm. for those moments, it's in the news. Um, but the but the moments otherwise. So, so talking about leadership, what you know, um, you know what what was your experience or background in learning about leadership? How have you, you know, <clears throat> you know where do you you know college? Your I I would say learning to stand in front of a congregation mm. and and do all of that is is a natural leader right you ha- you better lead or you're going to get run over in that situation right but um you know talk to me about where you sort of picked up some of your picked up your leadership philosophies where you where you learned about leadership well despite what anyone will tell you um unless you've got two decades worth of doing something like Standing in front of people and talking, uh, uh, I, I still, you know, it still gets to you sometimes. Oh, sure. I want to make sure you say the right things and say it articulately. Um, but I say all that to say, like, as much as I appreciate the how complimentary you're being, like, that part did not come naturally to me. Really? Standing in front of people and talking, like, as much as people who have known me my entire life might say that it did, there was always that level of insecurity and they and a lot of people go no 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 no. he's hey, no, that's not a feeling you are ever, you not a public speaker or oh, is it just i can do public speaking i have no problem I was just with what that. i say i would be surprised if you could I, I got no problems with that but it wasn't always that way okay um that took a lot of it took a lot of practice and it took a lot of like self-determination to get to a point where like i recognize that if i'm going to get up and you know when I was doing it, deliver a message or now get up in front of a, a group in the military and, and, okay, brief a mission plan or something like that, like brief sure. an op order. Sure. Like, I have to rehearse. I, I am not one of those guys that can get up there and just do it off the cuff unless I just absolutely have to in the moment, which sometimes you do. Yeah. But it's nowhere near as clean in those moments than when I get to you oh, know, sure. run through it a few times. And I'd say all that to say early on that youthful arrogant side i i didn't practice and i ate it a few times like really <laughs> just being honest about it i ate it a few yeah. times yes. but uh you know at a certain point you recognize okay we're not perfect let's freaking practice jack yeah yeah i mean R- write it out 
talking in front of a group of people is one of the scariest adventures you can go on. It's what's the number one phobia. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. Like, like more people have a fear of public speaking than spiders or snakes or anything like that. So do you know that I, I used to have a horrible stutter, yeah. like really bad. And the thing that got me through it was theater mm-hmm. because the way I perceived it was like, okay, I'm playing a character. This character doesn't have a speech impediment. The people in the crowd don't know that I do. So it's just acting. That's how I got through it was just like, it's kind of the whole fake it till you make it kind of thing. And it just eventually my lisp went away. My stutter went away. And it's just like, and then after that I was like, okay. And then it just became second nature. Like you can give me two people like you two talk to you all day long or a group of a thousand. And it's, you still have that. Have you spoke to a group of a thousand? Um, I guess the most I've, I mean, when I was in my plays, yeah, yeah sure. There's, okay. I think the biggest crowd I think I, t- I was in front of was probably 3000 or so. Cause I, I always say there's a line somewhere around 25 people where people who say <laughs> I could speak to you, you know, I'm comfortable. And I said, yeah, get, make it 50, make it a hundred, make it a thousand. I mean, honestly, one of the good things was when you're up on a stage, you can't see can't anybody. See. Yeah. You're just blinded by light and everything. Now it might be a little bit different if you could actually see every face judging you. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I'm judging you. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done like 5,500 before. And, uh, wow. That's, I you think win. that's my cap, but <laughs> so 5,600 too many. I did not, I did not win, uh, because I was very nervous. Admittedly. Stuff. So, and, and, you know, there's ways to come overcome that. And, yeah. Um, and, and as your progression of a leader, I, I think it, it, you raise an interesting point. Early on, you think, I can wing this. Yeah. And a lot of guys who are comfortable and smart and quick-witted, and you're, you're smart and quick-witted because I, I know we've sat and, and traded jabs. So yes. I know, I know you can do that. A few, a few times. <laughs> yeah, a few times, and, and, and we should record some of that. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, so, but a lot of times that wit, will get you in more trouble than it'll solve, right? Well, well it's hard to do when people aren't talking back. It, right? it is. When there's well, nothing to go off of. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's a really good point. But a little preparation, a little planning, a little practice will make a big difference in that. So <clears throat> when, you, when you started to, to, I mean, you know, that's leading. That's the physical act of leading. Mm-hmm. How did you develop the Josh sort of philosophy about how you lead? Um, well, I, I kind of circle back to my some of what we talked about already because it, it definitely plays into it. But, like, at a certain point, you have to get into this mindset of I'm, I'm just going to shut up and step back here and identify who people talk about positively, who, who they perceive as a good leader, who, who I perceive as a good leader. Because it's, it's one thing to – to be like, oh, I really like that guy. I think he's, I think he's really squared away or whatever. But you don't know. He might, he might be perceived by the rest of the organization as an absolute douchebag. So, so what, what traits about him can I emulate that I think other people feed off positively? And so at a certain point, I just kind of stepped back and went, all right, I'm going to shut up. And I did it for like a year. Like the first year I was in, I tried to be as just absolute middle of the road as possible and step back and, and look at, who got results? Who, who produced positive results consistently? Uh, who, who did they want to follow? Who did they not want to follow? 
because the bad is just as important as the good. What what do I Absolutely. need to avoid as much as what do I need to uh, to emulate, I guess, to, to look like. And so I did that for a while, and, and that helped out a lot. I, I got to, uh, because I got out of my own head and started trying to put myself in other people's shoes, uh, I still do certain things, say certain things a certain way as a result of some of that direct mentorship that I got. Um, I recently saw one of my early mentors who's now a captain, uh, who was a second lieutenant at the time. He, uh, he was prior active duty. He was a, a non-commissioned officer active duty, transferred to the guard to be home, commissioned, and uh, he was a platoon leader. So he had all of that enlisted experience and he brought that to the table as a platoon leader. So he knew how to, how, to, how to walk, how to talk, how to handle those guys. He knew how to do soldier care, like better than pretty much anybody I've ever seen before because he knew what a E1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 were thinking and what they needed. And so I got to watch wow. him in real world function a platoon level element and, and do it as successfully, if not more successfully, than anybody I've ever seen. And I do not do it justice because he's still far superior in that regard to me. But I picked up a lot of really positive things. And so when he moved out and I moved into the same slot after shadowing him for almost two years, I was able to walk up in front of those guys and go, all right, guys, I'm, I'm Lieutenant Joyner. I'm brand new, but you've known me for the last two years. Business as usual. No change. Let's go. So what do you think allowed him to understand what an E3 was feeling and thinking? It was just that prior experience. He'd been an E3. So he knew it from being there as well as leading them. Yeah, because he'd been in an active duty enlisted for the first piece of his career. So he'd been in their position. I'd never been in their position. I was a college kid going through school as a cadet. Like a lot of junior officers come in thinking that they know it all. Even though they've never done it. And you have no idea what that that E3, 4, and 5 are thinking because you've never, you haven't gone to the same schools they have, the training that they've done you haven't done, some of the experiences they've had, like their their cohesion in the unit, like how they they joke, how they they carry their damn bags. Like it's totally different. And if you, if you can't read that and tell, okay, he's, he, he looks different today than he did yesterday. What's, what's going on in his life that's changed that? And that's the soldier care you're talking about, yeah. recognizing something be off so you can reach in. And, and doing it proactively rather than reactively, right? <clears throat> like I can recognize like, okay, he's, he's normally a stud. What's, what's going on with him? And being able to go up, and then, this is the biggest piece. Like, it's one thing to be able to notice. But it's another thing to be able to go up to them and have that conversation right. without making them shut down, right. making them feel defensive because you're an officer and they're not. Like, you got to be able to go up, hey, man, you, you good? And for them to feel comfortable enough with you to go, well, actually, my old lady left last night or I found out that she's been doing this or or my bank account's overdrawn or my kids, I don't know where, which school I'm going to put them in. Like, they won't tell you that stuff if they don't feel comfortable with you. Right. They just won't. Well, it's that building of trust, but also so you approach them so that they're not defensive and so that it's a, it's a genuine reach out from care, right? So. And you, you, have, to, you have to be predictable at, to a certain degree, right? You're like, you need to be able to switch it on and, and go, but... They, they need you to be that stable, steady baseline. And that was what this 
mentor I'm telling you about was really good at. So he was consistent. There was a set of standards. You either met them or you didn't, and there were repercussions if you didn't, but there was no guesswork involved. And so to achieve that standard was, by all accounts, relatively easy. And if everybody achieved that standard, then everybody succeeded. Right. And so, like, but I, I say all that to say this, like, you've got to be able to, to be consistent in that they feel comfortable with you, they know what to expect, and if you falter from that, it, it might be a while before you gain their trust back. Sure. Do you feel like that's something that you have to be on all the time, or it's something like a computer program where it runs in the background and you can switch it just like that? Yeah, it kind of runs in the background a bit. Um, like, they're, they're going to see you fail. The difference is whether or not they support you in your failure. And if you've done everything that you should do correctly up until that point, you've been consistent. You've supported them. You've gotten them everything that they need. Uh, you, you, they know that you're an open door for them to be able to come and talk to and that you'll work to help find solutions for their issues. Like, the military has some really incredible programs for guys who are in need, like, it's just some, like a basic thing. Like there are programs for guys who simply can't pay their bills. I mean, like baseline, if you, if you can like, if you bring a statement up there and you go, Hey, like my, I can't pay my electric bill because I just got laid off from work. Like there are ways to help get you out of that debt. Now, ultimately you end up paying that money back, yeah. but, but if it's a right now problem and then, Maybe we can cut you some, some orders or something like that. Maybe we can get you on the payroll for the next couple of weeks and get you some, some money coming into the bank account while, while you're searching for a new job. Like, if you're not willing to pull the strings for those guys and make that type of thing happen, you're going to fail as a leader. But if you are and you produce results for them, all you have to do it for is one guy. And, and then the rest of them will be sold on you. Because yeah. like, they, they fight as a family. And if you help one member of that family, they see it as helping all of them. Yeah. And so if you can, if you can make that kind of positive change and be, be aware of that and not just blow it off as in like, oh, he's, you know, he's whatever, he's a privatist. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it's not my job. It definitely is your job. Well, that kind of leads me into the next question I had. What are some of the, not even a list, but just some of the biggest attributes in the military that makes a leader in your role or in somebody else's role? Makes a good leader? Yeah. Um, Soldier care is always at the top of my list, right? And everything I just said. But I think, I don't know, I kind of just said some of that stuff, really. Being consistent and predictable, being able to kind of, kind of dial back that, that leadership relationship just a little bit and talk to them just man-to-man, like take the rank off for a second and just talk to them man-to-man. That's, that's a big deal. Um, my guys can tell when I'm in a good mood and when I'm not. Yeah. Uh, because if I'm in a good mood and we're in the field, I'm typically smoking a cigar. <laughs> if things are chill and we're not, like, really hard driving at stuff right now, like maybe we're doing training and we're running lanes and stuff like that or we're planning or whatnot, but, like, I'm, I'm probably going to be smoking a cigar at some point in time. But if I walk up into the group and I'm not and I have this face or this posture or whatever, like, they know before I say a word that it's time to get some stuff done. And that's when, like, you've got to be able to, to build that community, build that, that uh, stigma of, all right, guys, when we're on, we're on. When we're not on, 
I'm not going to be breathing down your neck. Yeah. But when we're on, like you can handle your own internal business. And, and I'm not going to step into your lane. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like reach into your pie or whatever. But when we are on and we need to get to going, then that's just how it is. They, they respect that, right? Because there's no, there's no bullshit. Do you, I mean, do you feel like they, they take, take it better when it's not so much a superior talking to a lower or it's just even kill, even plain? You, you have to have both. Like, you have to be able to, like, all right, guys, I know this sucks, but guess what? We got to do it. Yeah. You have to be able to be, be the disciplinarian and the friend at the same time. And, and, you know, if a guy screws up in some way, shape or form, like you've just got to be cut and dried and clear about it. Like, Hey, guess what? This is, this is my position. This is where I'm coming from here. Here's what we got to do about it. Right. I don't, I don't, I am not the jump over the desk and just absolutely scream down your throat type of leader. Now I have done that before, but it's pretty freaking rare. And all of the guys that I've worked with for my quote tenure, uh, know that when that happens, somebody's really messed up because I really, I don't really overreact. Uh, I tend to be pretty level, and you guys know that about me. But I tend to be pretty level, pretty, pretty. There, there's some highs and lows, but it's all right in the middle. Uh, when, when I, when I get fired up, there's a reason for it, and it, the typical result of that is the rest of everybody backing up that call. Right. Typically, I can identify what that issue is and just hand it off to somebody, and it gets and it gets handled. Right. Those senior non-commissioned officers, those those staff sergeants, the the E five team leaders and stuff like that. Like, I can go, hey, this is the issue, handle it. They want to handle business themselves. They don't want me handling their business for them. <laughs> like they're they're the they're the mama bears. Right. They they they're the backbone. They handle their own internal shit. Yeah. Right. They don't want me to have to handle it for them. And, and only if it gets to the most extreme level do I have to handle it. It gets sloppy. It gets <clears throat> right. sloppy is the wrong word. It's more complicated when it gets yes. to your level. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like sometimes I catch it. Catch, we'll catch something before they do, and it's just a. Hey, you see that? Yeah, go handle that. Okay, yeah. cool. You got it. And, and that's it. That's the end of the conversation. Because they, they don't want me stepping in their lane, and I want them to police their own house. And so, because they take ownership of it. I got two, maybe three years at any given point. They could be there for 20 years and work their way up the organization in that one place. So they want to police their house. They have a sense of ownership of it. And I say all that to say this. Our interests are aligned, Right. I don't want to step in their lane. They want to police their own house. So our interests are aligned. And so long as you respect that, you, I mean, I, I really don't have any issues. Do you feel like anybody could become a leader? Uh, I think, I think there are different kinds of leadership, but yes, I, I think that with the proper amount of ethic and, ethic being ethics and work ethic and, and training and the right mindset, yes, anybody can become a leader. If you're not, the worst leaders are the leaders that don't listen. If you can't listen, you're not a leader. then you, you're probably not going to be able to become a leader. But I know a lot of people who, including myself at one point, were not good at listening to people. Yeah. And at a certain well, point, all, you yeah, get kicked in the teeth. That. Yeah, right. You get kicked in the teeth and you go, oh, maybe I need to shut up and listen. Well, what, right. what's one thing you think 
can be integrated into just not the military role, but also civil, the, the civilian role to become, you know, better leaders and better, you know, mm-hmm. almost like, almost like guides through life. Yeah. Um, you're, you're going to hear the same theme starting to, to rise up. And this is, you know, Mark and I kind of talked beforehand about leadership philosophy. Yep. Uh, be consistent and listen as much as possible, right? Like know when you need to listen. Mm-hmm. That, I know some really good listeners who don't know when they need to listen. But if you can go, hey, man, I, I need you to listen to me right now. They'll, they'll, they'll listen. Like they'll really listen like shut down and, and totally lock in on what you're saying and not say a word, but they have, you have to prompt them to do that. So, so yeah. be able to listen, but also know when you need to listen. And, uh, that's, you know, a, a lot of people are, like I said, very charismatic, very emotional, uh, or emotionally in tune with other people, but they have zero ability to read the temperature of a room. Yeah. And you need both because one really doesn't work that well without the other, in my opinion. So I I know you have experience, obviously, in in the religious community as well as in the commercial community as well as in the military community. Just, and I know military leadership's different. There's huge volumes of books about military leadership versus um, uh, civilian leadership, you know. And um, so... Uh, first of all, where do, if you if you done a bunch of reading about leadership, it, you strike me as a as a reader type guy because I know yeah. we've talked about books. Let me go and mark that question off my list because that was that was my next one. Books, <laughs> okay. well, uh, j- j- just media in general, or where did you people? learn about leadership? So, where, where you know, non I, from from non mentors because I right. obviously I think smart people look around and see people they go, I like what you're doing. You're effective. But where, where from other than mentors have you? Uh, some of these have been introduced to me from mentors, but regardless. Yep. Uh, from the religious standpoint, uh, there, there's some really good theologians out there. Uh, I'm a big N.T. Wright fan. I like John Lynch. Uh, from the military side of things, uh, it's hard to go wrong with Dave Grossman uh, and he a couple of really good books. And I've got a couple signed copies because he was once the professor of military science at my program, um, but he's a prolific writer on killing, on combat, uh, two, two books, and uh, both of them are very logical, very psychologically driven. Um, they talk about the, the before, during, and after of those events, how to, how to prepare for as best as possible, how to manage during, and then how to uh, sort of, I guess, recover after the fact. Yep. And so that being what it is, it's, uh, those are, those are civilian published books and, and he does a great job of, of psychologically and logically, because those are two different things, but yep. psychologically and logically, uh, explaining and breaking apart those, those actions that what, what it looks like for, combat and somebody who lives in a combat environment how to how to help veterans on the back end of a combat environment what what psychologically happens to you after you've had to take a life in a combat environment 
the questions that people typically ask themselves. Like, as a leader in the military, you need to be reading and studying things like that, in my opinion, um, because it's likely, if you're in a combat arms environment, which I am, that you will deal with people who have experienced things like that, and you need to, being that I'm in the position I'm in, I've never been in that situation. Yeah. You need to be able to help those people or, or, or at least recognize the signs. Um, and this is not a PSA, but, but veteran suicide is such a huge thing. I think, huge. It's, I think it's one veteran every 22 minutes. Yeah, no. uh, and, that, and that's an alarming rate. We, we have them in the state of Arkansas every year, even at the senior levels of leadership. And so it's, it's one of those deals where we can never do enough, but what we can do is, is study and prepare as best as possible. Uh, yep. Jocko is incredibly, Jocko Willink is incredibly motivational. Uh, anybody and everybody, military and not, should read Extreme Ownership. Yeah. Uh, it is a great treatise on... I suppose a positive mental framework for how you should live your life. Okay. Uh, I, I think very positively of that. I, I, Jocko's a, a retired SEAL, so he's had a ton of experience. And while that book does touch on that, it's it's a lot more broad stroke um, from the just pure um, hmm, leadership th- side of things, civilian side. That that is. That crosses the burial. There's your, uh, what do you keep saying, Venn diagram? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, your, that's your center of the Venn diagram, military and civilian, yeah. Jocko Willink, extreme ownership. And what, yeah. That's the name of that one? Yes. So he has another one, Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Have you read that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you read the, uh, the David Goggins, yep. Can't Hurt Me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy who broke his legs multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, is now the, I guess he, he was a SEAL, correct? Yeah, he's a SEAL. And an ultra marathon runner and yep. all that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's that's all about a mental framework, and and that that's another piece of leadership that we really haven't talked about right now is the physical side, right? You you have to be able to lead from the front, in in a military environment. You've you've got to be able to, and I don't want to sound cliche. This is, some people will laugh at this, but you got to be able to get at the front and say, "Follow me." Yeah. And you've got to be able to outruck, outrun, outshoot, out tactic everybody else, for them to want to follow you because if you can do that in, in one way or another, and that's not saying that you can't take input or opinion or advice or whatever you should, but at a certain point, you've got to be the one who makes the decision. You've got to own it. And if you can't do that, if you can't in some way prove out that, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. He's squared away. Like they're not going to want to follow you. They're going to question every decision that you make. But that's a two-edged sword because you can't just walk in there and try to prove that you know everything. It takes time and it takes effort. Yeah. Like when I took command of my platoon for the first time, it wasn't, all right, guys, guess what? So we're going to go for a run tomorrow. We're going to go for a 12-mile ruck today. And we're going to do tactic classes that I'm going to teach for the next 48 hours in between those activities just to prove out that you could. But I know people that have done that. And it always ends out poorly. Yeah. You have to do it over time. And... You know, you have to stretch it out and, and give good reasoning for why you're doing it, but recognize that you're going to be at the front. No matter what, you're going to be at the front. Even if you're broke, you're going to be at the front. Even if you're sick, when I was at Fort Polk, I had all kinds of, like, respiratory stuff going on. I went in with a sinus infection. Like, I was messed up. I lost, like, 12 pounds while I was out there. Uh, 
I mean, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of bugs and stuff like that. Muscles pulled, ankles rolled like two dozen times. Like, guess what? We're getting up and moving. I'm in the front. Let's go. Like, no questions asked. No, no winces, no grinds, no complaints. Let's go. Do you think and it's important that you're the best at everything or that you're one of the best or very good at something? There will always be people who outperform you. You right. have to be the most consistent, right? Yeah, there, there are guys in my unit who are absolute physical savages sure. who will outperform me every time, but I can keep up with them. Right. I can't blow them out, but I can keep up with them. And everybody in the unit knows those two or three guys who are absolute physical savages. And if you keep up with them, they'll follow, they'll follow you. Right. So a buddy of mine, he was, I guess he still is, he's a, he was a Marine. Um, and one of the things was their drill sergeants, they always worked in tandem tandem, because they never, the drill sergeants never wanted to show that they were sweating or that they were hot. So one would leave, one would come in, the other one would go change clothes, come back, and then just that seems like start cheating. all over again. So it you is, it is cheating. But you know, you know why drill sergeants are the way they are? Because nobody ever hugged them? No. No, 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 no. No, why, why do drill sergeants, because I know drill sergeants outside of uniform, and they're chill. They're normal yeah. dudes. The drill sergeants function that way because in a basic training environment, you have this group of people that have no discipline, no background, probably yeah. no physical fitness, and you give them a common enemy to work against, and they will, they'll, they'll, they'll adhere to each other. They'll form a cohesive unit. They'll learn how to work together when they might not have known how to work before. All with the intent of showing that common enemy that they, in fact, can do that. And their common enemy is the, is the drill sergeant. Is the drill sergeant. That's why yeah. they function in that role, is, is so that they can identify a common enemy in two or three people, and they're all in this suck together. Yeah. It, and sometimes it's not let's show them that we can do it. Sometimes it's... God, we all hate these guys so much. <laughs> Let's just get out of this thing together. Right. We're gonna get. We're, we want to get them out of our lives by getting right. this done. Exactly, and it works. It's tried and tested, and sure. it's worked for years. Do you have Do you have any books on the civilian side other than the guy who was in the Venn diagram? Mm. It sounds like a good book. You're writing all that down, right, Aaron? Wait. No. Yeah, he's taking notes over there. Gosh, darn it. Well, no, I'm right. I'm what are you writing now? I'm writing questions whenever because the the good the good way to interview is you bounce whenever he okay. says something. You gotta you gotta have a follow up. Are you just writing down your head? I so, had I had one in my head. I'm trying to remember what it was. Okay. Well, let me let me go, let me go back to this. This yeah. is something you already touched on. You know, when the men and women come back, you know, you've already said PTSD is a big factor. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that the civilian side people can do to make life not so much easier, but a little more, you know, adhering and, you know, other than just listening, because listening is easy, is probably the easiest thing that can be done. What is the next step you think? Um, I disagree with you. Listening is very hard, but beside the point. Um, <laughs> okay. Listening, maybe listening and caring. Sure. Actually, actually listening and not just hearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, fair. Um, so, I, I mean, I really think, and, and I'm not a professional, so I don't want to present myself as a professional on PTSD, because I'm not at all. But uh, what I will say is that um, the people that I have seen in my life who have had PTSD 
typically be uh, tend to be very disconnected. Um, and that's not 100% true, but the majority of the time. At a certain point, they become disconnected. And identifying that disconnect and in, in some way or form, without being like overtly direct about it, like having some personal, some interpersonal tact, mm-hmm. being able to involve them in something positive. Um, and I say that as in um, wh- whether that's uh, religious or not, involve them in something positive that makes them feel like they're still a part of something. The biggest issue that, that I've read and seen is, is you, you have the survivor's guilt, but you also have the disconnect from the unit, the organization they were once a part of. And it, when you have such a strong support system like that, and you immediately take it away, that's shocking. That's jarring. Right. If you can get them involved in something positive and, and supportive, and you're there to be a part of their life, and, and to a certain degree defend them a little bit, mm-hmm. I would say, um, because that's what they're used to. They're, they're used to somebody having their back. Like if you can be that person, or maybe you can't be that person, but you can put them into a position where, they can maybe find that person. Yeah. That is powerful. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly helpful because at the end of the day, that disconnect or lack of a support system is, is probably the most painful part aside from, you know, dealing with maybe being a survivor. Yeah. And, and that's a whole nother level that I don't even want to get into because I can't speak to it. Well, so from the outside looking in, um, 10, 15 years ago, I guess, I was doing work at the VA hospital doing the new PTSD section, the wing, because it was, it was something that was around, but never really talked about as much as it is now. It's something that's more prevalent. It's something that is like, you don't even have to go through the service to get some sort of PTSD. Um, But working at the VA and just seeing it was sad was is the is the smallest word i can use it was almost like the support system like you said just wasn't there anymore yeah. and it looked like it's getting better um you know making a whole wing and making the making a place for people that have that issue to go get help mm-hmm. um but is the va the only place where soldiers can go or is there other avenues oh no 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 there, there are countless civilian organizations that are that are backed by accredited like counselings and psychological organizations or, or facilities that support PTSD patients or, or um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you I'm losing words here but that, that support people who have PTSD yeah and uh, and they right. by all accounts do a very good job of that and so it's, it's sure. definitely not just the VA um, no, but on the basis level, like it's hard to crack that nut. It's yeah. hard to get into that shell. So sometimes just being there is, right. is more helpful than, you know, yeah. And, and yeah. them knowing that you are there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, PD, PTSD, first of all, is, is a diagnosis like depression it's a very broad and and varied diagnosis even and i imagine people returning 
from uh, from war zones and 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 all of that. Um, and Survivor's Guild, I'm sure, is a big part of that. But there's way more to it than that, I imagine. It is a broad um, spectrum, yeah. And uh, um, I'm sure there's a lot of different treatment, to, you know, depending on the difference. Um, I'm, I am fascinated um, by your point, and I think it's a, it's a very astute one, that they go from having this very structured and organized life to to not and in a world where you're struggling to piece it together and to be honest with you i have a very small understanding of this um but um that change has got to feel um both stifling as well as um like you're standing on the edge of a cliff um it's it's got to go both ways because um and and I know that's at the point of what we're talking about tonight, but um, uh, so um, that is uh, <clears throat> that that I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Obviously, that's the unique perspective um, and a, a point that I hadn't thought about. They they go from that, you know. That, that's the great thing about the military is you know you, you get up at the same time every damn day and you go through. This is the rules, right? These are the way things work. I mean. Even Aaron and I, who have a pretty structured daily corporate uh, life, even though he's not corporate, but he gets up <laughs> at the same time every day, and we do things the same way every day. It's that right. routine. It's mm-hmm. a routine, but we don't have the same structure. Right. Yeah, it's, um, and the, the schedule is one thing for sure, but when you, when you have and all the sport. 10, 20, 40 people, that at any given point, and I feel this way too, because I've gotten like super close with my guys after uh, spending that, so much time with them and, how could you and, not? and training through so much stuff with them and, and frankly deflecting so much shit off of them. Sure. Because that's part of the job, right? Um, and uh, there's a point where you realize, you know, I could call any one of them and any one of them could call me. And no matter what it was, we'd be there. Yeah. Do you or feel like it's easier to, to connect as civilian Josh or military Josh? Easier to connect. Like with, with, people you, you work with, with. with, your, with your guys? Uh, it's, it's probably easier in the military um, just because... You're put together so closely. Yeah, you're, you're, you spend so much time together. You, you train together, you sleep together, you eat together, you shit together. Like you, you definitely... You're, you're in the same... <laughs> You're in the same boat. I know. I know. We talked about religious service earlier, but I've also been in the military for six years, and so no, when we talk about one topic to the next. Yeah. I'm sorry if I change a little bit. No, that's uh, fine. But that that just kind of comes with the territory, yeah. and, and that's something that I'm personally working on and not doing a very good job of right now. Well, but uh, be that as it may, like you spend so much time together, but also you have so much in common. Yeah, I have yeah, I very little in common other than the the company that I work for. Uh, with the people that I that I you know look yeah. across the office and see, yeah, sure. Some of them golf. Some of them golf better than I do. Some of them golf worse than I do. Some of them are married. Some of them have kids. Uh, you know, right. like we have some broad interests, but it's nowhere near what what we have in the military. And and here at the shop, you know, we have this common interest. You know, we like we like smoking cigars. We like talking cigars. We like talking the industry, and and we can talk blends and. And stuff like that, 
and and yeah, a lot of people, you know, sports rivalries and same yeah. teams and stuff like that, and that's all fantastic. It's as close to the community that I've seen in the military outside of the military. Oh like sure, it's it's a very tight knit group of guys. You know, we do we do manhood study, we do stuff, we do service together uh, outside of the cigar shop, sure, uh, charity work and and things like that. But it's still not the same level. Yeah. Well, and you got to imagine those guys who go overseas. Yeah. And see um, real live combats where it's, it's, I mean, and I don't mean to diminish what you do because no. what you do is important. I but, totally agree with where you're going. Right. Um, um, that that is, that's, uh, it's another level. It is. And, and those guys that have done that together that were there, yeah. you know, and have been there their, their entire careers, like they're way closer than I will ever be with them. Sure, and and it's one of those deals where, as a young leader, you have to acknowledge that they've been through something together. They've been through something together, and and don't necessarily envy that relationship. Support it, right? Like feed it. Let let them continue to function, right? As they know how to function. And right. so, one big piece about leadership as a whole that we haven't talked about yet: you have to be flexible. Right. You've got to be open to new ideas, different ideas than your own. And at a certain point in leadership, yeah, you may have to say, those are all great points, guys, but we got to do it this way. Yeah. Right. we got to go here. But you can't do that 100% of the time. Yeah. You've so got to be able to go. you got to be fluid. You know what? That was freaking outstanding. Why did I not think about that? Yeah. Let's rock and roll with that. So yeah. what do you think is the key, since you brought it up, um, since we're just, as we always do, I'm just talking what do you think the key is to you being flexible in your, when somebody presents an idea to you <coughs> that you hadn't thought through and is, to be honest with you, somewhat challenging of the idea that you had asserted 10 minutes earlier? Well, you got to take ego out of the question, right? You got to recognize what level of experience you're at in comparison. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm inclined to take advice from those senior guys. I typically take advice from those senior guys before the actual brief or meeting, right? We have those conversations privately and in advance. And during that meeting or that brief, that credit is given, right? So it's, it's not like anybody stealing ideas here. Hey guys, this is what I'm planning on briefing. Any feedback before I go out there and tell everybody else, what do you think? And it's normally three, four dudes, right? What do you think? Okay, yeah, no, and sometimes it's, yep, nope, that's all solid, let's rock and roll. Sometimes it's, okay, cool, I think we're 80% there, but have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And if I hadn't thought about X, Y, and Z, then sure, let's hash that out real quick. And then we go out there, talk through everything. At this point, you know, hey, he, he, he brought up a great point earlier, he was thinking about this, so we, we're going we're gonna to roll with that plan. Would you mind commenting on that some? So give him credit, but challenging in the moment like in the brief like hey i don't think that's a good plan or you know whatever you sometimes you just gotta be able to swallow your pride but you don't you take it on the chin you don't you don't you know beat yourself up in front of everybody god you're right that was such a stupid idea why did i even say that you can't you can't approach it like that yeah you know yeah okay cool i'm cool with that that it, works for me it's kind of like you can take you can take the praise but you got to be able to take the lumps as well right yeah, no, and if they, it, I'll be honest, as a young leader, sometimes it was, hey, that's a dog shit plan. Yeah. All right, 
Why? Can you tell me why? They explain why. I don't think it'll work because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, cool. Let's break for five minutes, you and me. Let's discuss it. We'll come back. And those are just learning opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you, like I say, you take it on the chin, and you don't, you don't degrade. You don't get into a, a, you know, a, a dog-scratching argument about it. Well, we're going to do it this way because that's the way that I think it should be done. You know, F your experience and all that. No, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. It's got to be this mutual conversation at some points. But at some points, it's got to be, hey, guys, we've got 15 minutes to move. Here's the plan. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. And that's, I don't have time for feedback. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's you know, one of the things that you and I were talking about before we got on the air was the difference between military mm-hmm. leadership and civilian leadership. Let me pause you real quick. Yes, yes, sir. I just, I said that wrong. It's never, I don't have time for that. It's, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Let me make that correction. And I that's, caught it as soon as it came out of my mouth. Right. It's never, I don't have time. Well, we don't I, have time. Wanna, wanna, and then there it is, taking the lumps, yeah. admitting Take the lumps. Admitting that, hey, all right, I need to do this different. Yeah. Well, one of the words that even, you know, because you're 25, I'm 55, so I'm, yeah. I'm older than you. And one of the words that I still try to, just just for the That's math. There's some carpenter math there. That's right? math. There's carpenter math. <laughs> I, math. I said that for Aaron, who I knew couldn't do the math in his head. Um, so, I, I need the tape measure. Right now. Um, I still have to beat I out of my language. Yes, me It's too. still one of those things that I still struggle at times to say we are doing this yeah. or um, and to be honest with you when we take lumps um, I tend to use I yeah. hey I, I made a call here that wasn't right yeah or I I, I did this or and because <clears throat> I don't want to obsess about the mistake mm-hmm. uh, you know I want us to to move on um, in, in in all of that but um, <clears throat> You know, one of the differences between civilian leadership in general, just in yeah. military leadership, is I have—I don't have unlimited time, but I have more time. Yes. Right. Just describing our two leadership roles, I have forty-five minutes, and you have fifteen minutes. Sometimes, not not all the time. No. And the, sometimes you have to make decisions under uh, a little more scrutiny and intensity. Well, to answer your question from earlier, you know, the difference between civilian and military. Um, typically, not always, but typically, the stakes are higher. Okay. Yeah. We're making, we're making life and death decisions. Life and death decisions. And so, and so that is what it is. You are responsible for the health and welfare of every single person that you have sure. that answers 100%. to you. And, and you have to assume that responsibility. But regardless, uh, so, so everybody would agree on that, right? Sometimes the vast majority of times, life and death decisions, a lot higher stakes. But the way in which, like my mindset really doesn't change that much between civilian and military leadership, but how I present information, how I talk to people, totally different. So do you find that it's easier <laughs> since you have that the military background inside that it's easier to make those decisions as the civilian role? Yeah, I'm much more ame- uh, amenable. I'm much more agreeable on the civilian side. It's it, because I recognize the stakes aren't as high. Mm-hmm. I think bad civilian leadership. We we sometimes put too much emphasis on the things that really don't matter, and and that just is what it is. But. Um, on the civilian side, I'm much more agreeable until we get to a, a hard stop, like pass or fail situation. And, and 
that could be any number of things. I'm trying to be as vague and as broad strokes as possible, but yeah. I say, no, there's some point it's, it's got, you got to make a decision. It's important. Somebody has got to make a call and somebody has to take ownership of that decision. Yeah. yeah. And when that switch needs to be flipped, I got a problem being that guy. Yeah. I got no problem. You know, Hey, okay. Yeah, no, let's, let's everybody discuss this. What do we think this is going to look like? Okay. Yeah, no, great. Fine. We deliberated. Here's the angle we're going with. Here's the direction we're traveling. Here's how we're going to handle this client. And here's how we're going to, here's the timeline that we're going to do that on. Right. And, and here are the steps that are necessary for us to get from where we're at right now to successfully, you know, whatever, winning the, winning the business. Because I work in sales. It's it's almost like when you, when you go into that role, people, people don't want to take, they get a little mousy because they don't want to take the repercussions that could come from it. Right. But... Yeah. So with your side, it's, you know, how you can, like you said, yeah. switch it on and you can, you know, take the mm-hmm. metaphorical bull by the horns kind of thing. But in, yeah. in civilian life, when you do that, then you have another step, which is called the get buy-in and everyone in the room so that yeah. everybody understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. Everybody's okay that you made the yeah. decision, understands why. Yeah. Is that true in military t- leadership? Because mm-hmm. it seems like in military leadership, we discussed it, I laid it out. We're all going to do this. Well, military is not a democracy, right? There's, there's it's a dictatorship. I mean, neither is corporate America right. really, but corporate America is, is closer to a democracy. Damn straight, it's closer <laughs> to a democracy than military leadership yeah. is, and and sometimes that results in failure. Yeah, right. Really, it can, but more often than 100%. not, like people are when you have a strong, confident leader who can make decisions and and take input but ultimately take ownership of whatever that decision is. People operate a lot, and I don't use operate in the tactical sense. I use operate in the the mental, physical sense. They operate a lot more fluidly, a lot more relaxed, because I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and we're moving forward with this plan. Everything's cool. Like, we're all on the same page. And that's my biggest pet peeve in all forms of leadership is I cannot stand when people who have a direct leader above them, whether that be a manager or in the military, a a team, squad, platoon, lead person, regardless of all that, all the way up to command level, if people don't know why they're doing what they're doing, they will not perform. And so I, I have fought that for years in the military and, and drove my lower level leaders, my quote subordinates to make sure that their guys have as much information as they need. And I do the same thing in the civilian side. If we're talking about how we're, we're going about this next project, right? Okay, great. But have we answered why we're doing it that way? Right. It's fine that we're going to do it that way, but have we answered why we're going to do it that way? Sometimes in the military, you don't have the ability to tell them why. Yeah. Right. Or the time. But you also need to tell them the why the vast majority of the time so that in the event that you don't have the time to tell them why, they know like, okay, this is for real. Something's going on. We don't have all the information, and there's a good reason why. If it's consistently we don't have all the information, then they'll shut down. They yeah. won't perform. Yeah. In the civilian side, you should always be able to know the why. Yeah, There's I no agree. reason why not. I agree. Well, 
So, okay. So let's lighten it up a little bit because yeah. we got heavy on a lot of stuff. Well, we knew that was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So the Craft uh, 2020. You heavy. Uh, you my brother. Yeah. The Craft 2020. Um, fucking amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. So good. Very good. So thank you, Swinney and Lacuterra, for hooking me up with a box a year ago and finally cracking up. So it's way better than a Rocky Patel Edge. Way better. Overrun. This, I, okay, so you know, at the end of the year, we're doing like our, and our the, top cigars of the year. People yeah. who just laughed. This is, <laughs> this is. But they're laughing really hard. This, I, this is why I can't believe you haven't smoked one yet. This no. is shot up to. This is going to be a, a top five probably at the they're end of the year. Yeah. Stinking. It's a right. top fifty. So I have another question, but let's talk about what we are smoking now. What we're about to light up. Yes. So you brought these oh, to the yours table. Is really, really light. Yeah, I did bring these to the table. Uh, these You're are awesome. The I didn't bring you guys anything. Oh, you just brought okay. your lovely self. Exactly. You brought Oreos. I am. I brought Oreos. That are all gone. These are <laughs> the Blackworks Studio Killer B. Oh, again, for the record. Again, thank you, Lacutera, because I think these came from where the, these came from. But these we are, now have these now. Well, we these don't have real, these yet, but, but we will. We will. These are really, really good cigars. Yeah, we're we're about to become a retailer for Black Label, which I think yeah. we're safe to say at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crafts. But I, but these are amazing cigars. The crafts are really good. Now I don't, I haven't smoked any of the 2021s, which are supposedly even better than the 2020s. Well, you know me, I, I love I, some Candela. I saw a lot more Candela on the 21s yeah, than than these. Um, well, there, the is, there is no amazing. Candela in the 2020. No, no, no. So, all right. There's one leaf in the middle. Going back to since we are a cigar show. Um, You've already said you you like taking your cigars out yes. in the bush. Yes, I do. Have you had any good memories, whether sharing with your guys or just you yourself, you know, on your on your weekends or on your month long well, stays? Is I'm that glad, I'm your glad chair? Yes. Is that your chair? It's What's mine. the yeah. or is the ceiling oh, it's, it's falling? The, yeah. It's the the wind. Well wow. I'm glad you asked that and I didn't I really hadn't planned on telling this story, but I wanted to tell the story in the podcast at some point, so Primo segue, awesome job, <laughs> totally unrehearsed. Um, I have I have two stories, but the first story uh, replaces my previous most memorable cigar. Okay, um, because before my most memorable cigar was uh, the H Upman AJ Fernandez with my dad for the first time in West End, and I still hold that experience close to my heart. Yeah. He and I have gotten to smoke several more cigars since then. Yep. Uh, and every time is super special. So not to take away from that, but this is the only time I've had this experience. Um, I was platoon leader for the platoon that I've been talking about this whole time uh, for two years. Um, I got really, really close to the guys. Functioned phenomenally. Uh, we rated at the top of the freaking like battalion level element on our platoon live fire. And after that exercise, which was right before we went to JRTC and, and Fort Polk, which I just got back from, um, I stepped down from being platoon leader and moved into this company executive officer position. And that was kind of bittersweet. Because like I told you, PL is the best job in the officer world. So much soldier interaction, so much training, it's great. I recognized after that last training event that that was it for me. All these years, six years I'd been in, well, almost six years I'd been in at that point, and that was the end of PL for me. And so I was a little, I was a little in the feels about it, which is not something you would normally 
think about. <laughs> but I was. Yeah, I, I, sure. I felt really close to those guys, put a lot of work and effort into it, and they performed. Well, it's a closing of a book. Yeah, they, yeah. Just, they just performed. They far exceeded my expectations. They're absolute studs, every freaking one of them. Um, but we got back to home station, and I was in my office clickety-clacking away, doing some paperwork and stuff like that, trying to wrap everything up. And we were doing an overnight at the armory. And one of these E5s, his sergeant, just a buck sergeant, comes in and says, hey, sir, come out back. I'm like, all right. So we went out back of the armory. They had a big barbecue pit out there. They were grilling burgers and hot dogs. And they had gotten, they had actually swung through West End Conway because we a few guys drove their personal vehicles and reported early to Fort Chaffee. And we have to drive through right past here to get back to home station. So they stopped in, linked up with Joe, and got some cigars. And so we all just, like, stood out back at the armory, ate burgers and smoked cigars, and that was kind of like their send-off for me, Mm -hmm. uh, which they said they'd never done for any PL before. And I felt like like it was a really great way to close it out and an awesome experience because they know that this is such a huge part of my life. Yeah. And I love it. Um, But... I don't know, man. They just they just like went above and beyond to to send me out my way, and I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Sure. Do you know what the cigar was? Uh, yeah. Uh, do I know what the cigar was? <laughs> Stupid question, right? Yeah. No. They. I, I had a Padron sixty four. Okay. Uh, wow. Which which I really love. Uh, they did not buy a box of Padron sixty four. <laughs> Good call. They were they were smoking a bunch of different like yeah. other stuff that they had picked out, which is fine. But they got that one special for me, which was great. Um, and yeah, were, were you able to turn some of your guys into cigar smokers? Uh, yeah, yeah, and and a, one of them actually just bought a new air. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he he's gone like full bore. <laughs> so he's uh, yeah, he's one of my he's one of my uh, squad leaders. He's an E five and he's uh, he's squared away dude. He's a uh, well, he's on SWAT. I'm not going to say what department he's with, but he's he's a SWAT officer, and uh, it's just super squared away. And I uh, I really yeah he's he's gone full bore on it, and he likes a lot of the same stuff I do. Yeah, which is kind of cool. So we always geek out and smoke cigars while we're out there together, which is weird seeing a a first lieutenant smoking with an E5, but it is what it is. All right, so since you take cigars into the bush, yeah, what cigars work best out there? Mm-hmm. So really? I always have a tin of Perdomo Minis in my sleeve, <sighs> and, and all of them. It could be Connecticut, <laughs> Sun, Gro, Maduro, doesn't matter, but I always have a tin in my sleeve pocket because it yeah. fits perfectly, and I got a lighter and a cutter right on top of it. Um, this cutter, this perfect cutter, has gone with me to every training event I've done since I've been in. Um, so it feels very special to me. And it used to be the old black ELX that I have that's just beat to hell. Mm-hmm. This flat flame Verano is what I've been taking, but that, that ELX went through a lot of crap before it finally <laughs> gave up on life. But I've cut thousands of cigars with this cutter, and it always goes with me. And it's so still just as sharp. It's still just I mean, sure, friggin' yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. But, um, yeah, the Perdomo Minis are great. You all know I'm a big Papa's Fritas fan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Papa's Fritas are great for the field because they're low maintenance. They're small. You can get like 50 of them into a 15 count travel case. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, so it's a lot of the smaller Vitolas. Yeah. I always take, I always take at least like th- between three and five Robusto sized cigars with me for those rare occasions where somebody does something really exceptional uh-huh. and like, if they want one, I'll give them a cigar. Or on occasion, somebody will come up to me while I'll be smoking a cigar and be like, 
hey sir yeah, i know i smoke cigars I'm, I'm cool with that type of thing and i'll uh i'll like hey you want to smoke one with me you're going to smoke the whole thing okay <laughs> and then and then i'll you know don't disrespect the cigar yeah. do if it. i'm going to give you this cigar you're going to sit here and smoke <laughs> it with me right and he's like yeah you're not going to smoke two inches of it and put it up no sir i'm serious but uh-huh. i'm like all right cool um and if they say oh i don't know well, then i'll give them papa's free to assume we'll smoke that but um I do want to tell you my second story because apparently you haven't heard it. Uh, I told this on the episode that I did, which for the longest time was the only episode you had not been on Oh, with uh, Steve and Doug. That was when I was on my honeymoon. Uh, Fantacular. Yes. That is, to this day, the only episode I have never listened to. Okay. So I'm going to give you, because they asked me, about some of my military experience of smoking cigars uh-huh. specifically. And so I told this story, but that was like, what, two years ago? God, that was like episode, that was in it the was teens. Early. Yeah, yeah, it was in the teens. So th- This is like 125, yeah. so that was a long time ago. So I'll, I'll retell the story. So when I was at Fort Benning doing my infantry uh, basic officer leader course, uh, we had a little bit of downtime while we were in the field, and we were way deep into the training cycle at this point. So on the weekends, I'd been going out to the cigar bar in Columbus just off post. And it started out with like two or three dudes going with me. And then it was like a half dozen dudes. And then it was like a dozen dudes. And then before I knew it, like three quarters of the platoon was going with me to the cigar bar on the weekends. And I was going to the shop and picking up Papa's Fritas. And do you remember the little Robusto Romeo? You don't like the cigar. The Romeo and Julieta 1875 Nicaraguan. Mm-hmm. I know you don't like it. Yeah. But I could get a five pack of them for next to nothing. And on base, I could buy the Hemingway short stories. So I was taking, I don't know, five or so of those to the field with me of any of those three cigars and smoking them and giving them out to folks. Well, by the end of it all, almost the entire platoon, including the one female in the platoon, was smoking cigars. And I'm not talking about, like, the flavored stuff. I'm talking about real cigars. And so they were going out with me and stuff like that. We had this one, like, night where the instructors went, all right, you guys did really well over the last week. We're moving out tomorrow. We're not going to mess with you tonight. Like, take it off, wipe it down, chill. We're like, all right, cool. So there were these buildings that we were doing, like, urban ops in, and we all got up on top of this one building, and we were like, okay, we're going to sleep on the top of this building because it's a flat roof. We're like, all right, cool. So we all rolled out the, the mats and stuff. All of us literally, and I have a video of this, which you probably don't want to watch. But all of us stripped down in our underwear. And because we'd just <laughs> yeah, been does. sweating. Yeah. He does want to Sweating watch. for days. <laughs> so we just stripped down in our underwear. Some people were in what we call ranger panties, which is like those frogman shorts. Yeah. And we all stripped down. And we're sitting on top of this roof, just like beached whales, like just broke, tired. We've been in the field for like freaking the last four months, basically, you know, in and out. Everybody pulls out a cigar. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I pulled out a cigar and I lit one up. A few guys didn't have them, so I passed a few out. And uh, we're all smoking cigars up there on the roof. Well, about three inches into the cigar, from the ground, I hear one of the instructors, who's a captain, scream up onto the roof, Lieutenant Joiner! And I was like, crap. <laughs> so I put my pants put on, my pants on, put yeah. my shirt on, put my blouse on, grab my weapon, grab my helmet, and ran down the ladder. I got down there on the ground. It's like, hey, what's going on, sir? He's like, look up on the roof, son. And I looked up, and it looked like you had dropped an atom bomb. 
<laughs> on the roof of this. There's like 40 dudes on this roof smoking cigars, and the smoke was just, just rising, just, just pouring <laughs> off the roof of this place. You couldn't see anybody because they were all like laying down, basically, yeah. like sitting, kind of propped up, or whatever. But you couldn't see anybody from the ground because it's three stories. And so you just see smoke just like piling just off look the like roof. Just looked like the roof is on fire. And he, and he was like, Are y'all smoking cigars up there? And I was like, Yes, sir. And he was like, No BS. And I was like, I could smell it for like a mile coming up here. And I was like, okay. And he was like, I know you started this crap. I was like, what do you mean, sir? And he's like, I know you started this crap. I've been watching you since day one. I know you started this crap. You're the only guy I've ever had that brings cigars to the field. He's like, I know you started this crap. I was like, all right, sir. And he's like, I don't really care. I just wanted you to know that I know. It's <laughs> like get your ass back up there, and I was like, "Roger that, sir." And I just ran back up the ladder, and they were like, "We good?" And I was like, "Yeah, we're good." Did you offer him one? No, I did not. I didn't have any left over. <laughs> I found out after graduation that he's a pipe guy, which is interesting. I, I feel like I know in the I know in the Navy side, there's a lot more pipe stuff because my dad was a sailor. Yeah, and I remember him having a pipe growing up. Mm. But I can see that. So, anyways, those are my two fun, most memorable military smoking stories. So, let's talk about a little bit of your overseas stuff to keep it light. You stayed in the Philippines for mm-hmm. a while. Yep. We both really like the Philippines. Yeah. You know, I, I have a different avenue because of the Philippines that I like because I married into a Filipino family yeah. and everything. Have you ever been to the Philippines? I have not. Okay. But that is one place that we hope to get to. You should definitely go. Go. Um, why, did, why did you go to the, for the military? Uh, no, it was a mission trip. Okay. Yeah, it was a mission trip. It was before I was in the military, like right before, but before still. So let, let's go back to the leadership sh- side a little bit. Yeah. What did you, what did you see on the Philippine side that they did that you implemented yourself back over here? Um, yeah, so they are, they are like really diligent, really hardworking people. But they also know when to uh, know when to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, the Philippines is really influenced by two major cultures, and that's and that's the Spanish from Spain mm-hmm. that occupied the Philippines uh, right around like the Magellan Ferdinand Magellan time period, and uh, and then the Japanese occupation of the 1900s really influenced the Philippines. But um, regardless. Mm. They, they adopted a lot of that Spanish culture. The majority of the Philippines is Catholic mm-hmm. as a result of that. Um, and, and you can see it in some of their food. A lot of their language is permeated by that. Um, there are very close words in Tagalog and, mm-hmm. and Spanish, uh, like formal Spanish. Yeah. And so, anyways, I say all that. Uh, they, they siesta. Yeah. They don't call it that, but that's what they do. Like, that, that part of their culture is very similar. Like... They, the sun goes down, works over. Like, that's it. Middle of the day, heat of the day, works over. We get up early and we work our freaking tails off until it's boiling hot outside, mm-hmm. and then we shut it off. There is no, no like, forcing ourselves to grind through it type of thing. And I was in really, really rural communities in the Philippines is who I was working with. Uh, places that had no running water. I mean, no AC. Electricity was a maybe in some places, like... I spent three weeks of the nine weeks I was there on an island that had zero infrastructure, like nothing. I slept in a hammock for three weeks, like no anything, like barely a roof type deal. Um, 
and we were installing solar panels so that they could have some form of electrical infrastructure. And it was just to like electrical infrastructure for basic necessities. Yeah. So anyways, um, they, I admire that about them. But I bet one thing you saw is the family aspect and the community aspect. Big time. Yeah. Is really prevalent. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Um, and again, it's, you could ask anybody for anything Mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, that's the only double wedding I've ever seen was in the Philippines and it was awesome. Yeah. It was a, I mean, it was a massive party, which was great. Um, and, and also it's a third world country. So, you know, you can say this people who don't have anything know how to party without anything. Mm -hmm. Like they freaking (laughs) get down with nothing. And it's awesome. Uh, I've been to a lot of parties that was like one of the most fun times <laughs> ever. And it wasn't like everybody just getting absolutely soused. It was just a, like awesome. Yeah, like, just tons of food. Freaking and food just, and music. Yeah. And, and it was just, and it was all hand instruments and, and everybody's just, yeah, I mean, the bride and groom are just like the pairs of them. They're just like getting down and having a great time. All the families are jazzed up. I mean, it was, everybody's wearing their best outfit. And, and sometimes your best outfit is a, a cut off sleeve bear shirt. <laughs> so, I mean, for the record, that could be true here too. Sounds like Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. So, so you talked about on the last episode. Talk about the the blade that you were given over there. Yeah, I have a. Uh, so I I was heavily involved with the Filipino martial arts um, in high school, all through college. I traveled to Atlanta a lot in high school and worked with a guy out there. Um, and then I, I got involved with the organization through the Philippines. Um, while I was over there, I got, I got connected um, with some people that were practicing it in Cebu. Mm-hmm. And then I got connected with some people that were practicing it in Manila. And ultimately, the result of that was I, uh, I got involved in this instructorship program while I was over there, which was great. Uh, but I walked away from it all with this really sick, um, they call it a gununting, which is basically means scissor. Um, but it looks like massive blown up half of a scissor. It's forward curved as opposed to like reverse curved like a, like a, like a katana would be. Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite direction. And it's a tribal blade. They use it to like cut sugar cane and, and coconuts. And, and uh, during the Japanese occupation, the, the tribal really warriors at the time because they still had headhunters in the 1900s like that was a thing mm-hmm. and um they they came out of the bush with blades against guys with guns and tore them up they didn't win but they schwacked a bunch of people and uh anyways schwacked, schwacked yeah they schwacked a bunch of people <laughs> uh, but anyways like i i walked away with this really awesome hand forged traditionally indigenous made blade that I'll treasure forever. It's scary. Yeah. It's like a feather. You can't follow it. You can't track it. I mean, in it's stupid. It's the sharpest thing I've owned and I can freaking sharpen a knife and I can sharpen longer (laughs) stuff too. I mean, like I can make it shave. No problem. You give me 20 minutes with anything and I'll make it shave. But that thing is crazy. Now, you, you forge here. Did you learn any uh, secrets over there? I did a lot of it over there, actually. Um, 
that's where I learned most of what I know. I got the forge and anvil from my grandfather, but uh, I, I learned a lot of traditional bladesmithing while I was over there. Over there, they call it pandai, uh, which is just blacksmith. But um, pandai is like a really revered title. Uh, it's almost like mayor mm-hmm. or teacher. Um, and so that's, yeah, I got, to, I got to work with a traditional Filipino pandai while I was over there. And, uh, like, I've got blades that I made while I was over there. And then another blade that he made me that I've showed you before, that big recurved one with the false edge on the top of mm-hmm. it um, and the mahogany fittings and all that stuff was the last thing that I did over there, and he worked with me on it. That's all hand tools. No yeah. electricity yeah. whatsoever. And... I, I mean, I'd, I'd put it up against pretty much anything made by a machine. So you, you don't do automatic hammer stuff. You do all... It's all hand anvil. I, I do... I grind them. I electric grind them over here. But I finish it all by hand. Yeah. Uh, and I don't do a lot of it um, just because Arkansas is not good forging weather. Uh, you have... It, uh, like The forge is like 2,000 degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I stood next to it in 115 degrees in the Philippines for several weeks while I was over there, like... While I was on uh, Surigao, which is the island that I was talking about, um, that's what we did. Like, that's where I, I practiced so much of it. And uh, it's 115 degrees and like 1,000% humidity next to a 2,000-degree forge <laughs> made me never want to... I don't forge in a month without an R. <laughs> if it has an R, I'll consider it. You got you to hit that one-month window of Arkansas where it's... Yeah. But like last year, I made three knives... Four knives, and that was it, and was perfectly content with that. Yeah, like I had no desire after that fourth <laughs> one. I was like, nope, I'm good. Done. And Done. it turned out beautifully. Like I did all, all hand layered Damascus and stuff like that. It turned out great. But at the end of it, I was like, nope, nope, I'm good. <laughs> next year, I, I got that out of my system for the next ten months, and I'll pick it up again. I'll make a couple crap ones and dust polish, uh, polish the dust off. We've talked about this. My hardest thing is the wood. Yeah. You work wood really well. I, I, the fit and finish is always the hardest part for me because I think I crapped out like two dozen handles between four knives. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, finally, I was just like, all right, cool. Well, that, that's, what, that's, that's what's so nice about metal and wood. Metal, if you mess up, you can reforge it if you, if you haven't quenched it and everything. And you can fix some of those things unless you burn it but yeah wood you got one shot there's really no fixing wood you can't add on to wood to make it bigger or better or anything like that right you can burn it you can't burn it yeah Just but the, the worst thing is splitting it because splitting is your your structural integrity is gone at that point i've split a lot of handles i showed you that mahogany sheet that i made mm. that's that that was like number six now <laughs> it turned out pretty nice and it's always at the very last step is when it just all goes to hell well that's because you're like oh thank god i'm finally finished well, with this you, thing. Quit, you stop focusing on it you and then quit you... working on it when it breaks <laughs> yeah. it's always why it's the last step yeah but yeah i mean that's a fun chapter of my life yeah. i really don't cool. talk to a lot of people about that because then they're like oh man i want you to make me a night and i'm like I, I appreciate the interest, Tommy, but <laughs> I, I do it because I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. if you happen to get one that I made out of enjoyment, that's great, but I don't take orders. Right. 
<laughs> I really don't because it's not about that for me. Yeah. Right. You do it for, for the pleasure of building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. Obviously, for a 25-year-old, you've lived a pretty varied and full life. I know we've talked a, a lot. We've gone all the way from the beginning to the end, and we're to the end, meaning where you are today, mm-hmm. which is the present. To the present. Well said. Um, how would you describe Josh Joyner's management or leadership philosophy today? And then I have a follow-up question, but I'd like to I'd like first to hear to say, I, I always say that I have, um, and I'd be happy to give you them if you want, but um, what are your three to five principles of how you lead? Um, well, the first big one, that I try to, I try to, and I, I teach Filipino martial arts now too. So I, there, there are pieces across the board. Um, margin is a big, a big part of what I try to talk to people about. Um, and margin in the sense of, um, and we've kind of already touched on this, but your highs and lows need to, to reside around where you stay consistently. Um, but also, margin in the sense of um, control over things that can get really negative in your life. And so whether that's substance or vice or mm, maybe a bad relationship, maybe a bad train of thought, depression, like being able to recognize where those highs and lows are before they become extremes and sort of keep it all level and in the same relative vein of control is a positive thing. Um, I also try to approach things. I, I do approach things very logically. Uh, I don't, I don't put a lot of emotion into decision-making, which is not always the best thing in the world. Uh, but when it comes to military and, and, uh, corporate leadership in some capacity or another, um, your, your ability to make logical, fact-based decisions that are based on real-world results is critical. Now, you have to be able to turn the emotion on at some point and, and, and make feelings like that, or make decisions like that as well. But for the most part, I tend to try to live a logically-driven life. Um, and, and that has led to um, my, my successes being prominent, and my failures being manageable um, because, you know, we've talked golf on the last one. Like, golf is a game of misses. I think that's why I like golf. Golf is a game of misses. The intent is to make your miss better, right? Make that gap smaller. And, uh, you know, you said you can, you can talk to a fade, but you can't talk to a slice, yep. right? Like, I'm, I'm good with that logic. Like, I'll play a 15-yard fade but I can't play a 50-yard slice. Right. I'm okay with, with the losses. I'm okay with the misses so long as they're um, manageable. Okay. And I think that helps you to live life without a lot of stress. Um, that being said, uh, I, I do believe in a higher power and in something bigger than myself. Uh, we've had a bit of a rocky relationship over the last few years which is just me being candid. But that being said, 
I always come back to personally, I have a relationship with someone who even on my very worst day is, is still there. And you can spin that a couple of different ways religiously, or if you have a significant other, uh, my wife, even on my very worst day, is still there mm-hmm. and still wants to be actively engaged with me. Yep. And I say that from a philosophy standpoint, everybody needs to have somebody like that to make your life worthwhile. Um, now, whether that's a significant other or like just a really, really close friend or brother or something like that sure. that you can lean on so that on your very worst day, you do not feel alone. I think that's incredibly important. Um, and then I guess just finally, like, try to, I try to approach things and, and, and encourage others to approach things that are what you consider to be outside your wheelhouse or outside your comfort zone. Um, I, I've gotten involved in things in my life that were not, quote, me because I wanted to broaden myself. I had a really good uh, talk with a a leader in the military, uh, a senior leader in the military, who encouraged me to seek out mentors. And he told me that your mentors need to be people that fill gaps in your life that maybe you don't have the skill set to fill on your own. Um, Maybe there's no answer within yourself. And, And so... Um, and he also encouraged me to, to seek them out because mentors typically uh, don't seek you out. Typically, you have to make the first step. And so I identified people who were uh, charismatic, good people, um, people persons, I suppose, interpersonal, because there was a point in my life where I had a really hard time <laughs> carrying on a conversation uh, that wasn't awkward and didn't sound canned. And so I looked at people who... I'd never met a stranger and I approached people like that or a specific person like that and said, hey, you, I, I, I noticed this about you. Would, would you just mind, like, can I buy you a cup of coffee and can we just talk for like half an hour about that? And that can take whatever shape, form, or function you want. But I, I admire that about you and, and I just like to kind of know, like, what do, you, what do you think about that part of your life? People will typically do that. I, I found somebody who had uh, good financial sense, a solid marriage, and, and a good family, had raised good children, which we don't have kids yet, but had the same conversation. Can, can I just have like 30 minutes of your time? I, I, like I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I'll get, I'll get you lunch. I'll buy you a cigar, whatever, whatever you want to do. But I just really want to ask you a couple questions and see what you think because I'm curious. Always people that are older than you and more experienced but seek those people out. They will make a world of difference in your life. And they've made a world of difference in my life. Good answer. And as a feeling, you probably answered my second question uh, partially, but I'm going to ask it anyway because there's a second part to it, which is what parts of your leadership style or leadership are you working on and how are you working on that? Yeah, um... I still struggle with uh, with the day to day 
interpersonal tact with people. Um, I still struggle to read the room sometimes. You know, every now and again, I'll catch myself saying something that I'm like, that probably came off wrong. Like, I still struggle sometimes to think before I speak. And so, as a leader, that's incredibly important because people hear the things that you don't want them to hear. Oh, they hear everything you say. Yeah, they hear hear everything you say, but the things that you say that are misses, they notice. They notice, People, People notice your misses, they notice your losses a lot more than they notice your wins. And that, unfortunately, is just a side fact of life. And so, you know, sometimes we say things that we're like, crap, probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, so I, I struggle with that and, and, and choosing my words carefully. Um, so that just comes with age, and I know that. But um, that being said, that's a big piece of it. And also, I would say, uh, not always the greatest example for people. Um, decisions are still made selfishly. All that, all that talk about maturity and, and that conversation is fantastic, but sometimes we still, on our, our worst days, make decisions that sure. we probably shouldn't. And so how to mitigate that. Sure. Um, and I guess how to encourage others to do the same. It's kind of, it's kind of where my mind's at right now, at least. No, those are, those are all good things. Um, uh, so I'm going to say one thing and then... I'm going to say a couple things. First of all, um, any leader, no matter how experienced, who tells you that they don't say things that they wish they could have back, even the most experienced leaders, um, is lying to you. So even the most thoughtful and precise leader will let occasionally something out. And most leaders will let that happen more than they will let on. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, Second thing is I think the key to that is acknowledging when it happens. Um, uh, That didn't come out like I wanted to uh, have it come out. And here's what I, I, I was intending to say. I acknowledged that what I said was not very good and right came out poorly. Um, and I, I find that uh, authenticity or that sort of directness of acknowledging that those words were wrong for the situation or sometimes even hurtful or whatever they are um, allows them to be, it allows you to, to, to note that you knew that they were mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and to deal with them. Now, you know, the, the price is still there. Um, so, so that's the thing. Um, the other, the other part that I am sort of struck by in all of this um, is something that I think all le- good leaders or all leaders deal with, um, which is that self-talk um, part of this, right? Because I hear you talking about um, trying to be more, you know, being consistent and the bad, you know, when things come into your head, and every leader has that, you know, that needing that self-talk about. Um, you know, um, um, getting that out of your head, that, that negative thought or that unproductive thought or whatever it is and getting the productive thought going in the right direction. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, saying that, I'm saying that from uh, an older leader to a younger leader, those are things you're going to struggle with your whole leadership. I, I don't mean to discourage you here. 
No, you're not. But I, uh, but but just to let you know, those are things that every leader works on, who is thoughtful and considerate and desires to be good at being a leader and not just a manager, which you do. Um, those are things that we all work on on a daily basis. Um, it's hard to sometimes not th- say what you're thinking mm-hmm. because it comes your you're frustrated or it just comes to you and you like you said it comes out different than you intended so it's 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 whenever you become complacent and you don't allow for growth is when that happens well some some ways in some ways it's in the moment and it just comes out and you just go um i'd really fucking like that back um because (laughs) that that wasn't what i wanted to say um like for a million reasons could be frustration in the moment could be um, sloppiness could be a lot of things that cause that, right? Um, and uh, and so we all deal with that. So those are good things to work on. The more consistent you are about your messaging, the better off you are. So you have those are great philosophies um, uh, as a leader. You know, getting that message right. Um, I think uh, I think your your overall message about wanting to be a good person and follow good people and seeing mentors that do it right is, is a strong, is a strong, uh, approach. I, I'm a big fan on, I always, I always tell young leaders, look around and see what's working and then ask yourself why it's working. Cause sometimes you'll look over there and Jim is doing something and you're saying, well, Jim must be doing it right. And then try to copy Jim. Well, don't copy Jim. Why is Jim working? Why, what is he doing that's being successful? And I think that's the part you're, you, with the mentor you talked about who had the, the job before you did, you ask, why did he succeed? Mm-hmm. You know, soldier care. You identified individual traits, individual things that he did. I think that's, that's the exact smart, right thing to do. Because it, it's not, I'm going to be exactly like him, because you can't be him. Right. You didn't go overseas in theater. You don't have, you don't have the experience he has. But you can see the behavior that he had, and you can say, "I see how he's doing that well. Let me think about how I can do that well, uh, and learn those skills mm-hmm. in my way." So it's authentic to Josh, um, and I think that's exactly right. I, I think that's great. Yeah. So. Sorry, no. didn't mean to kill the conversation. <clears throat> no, no. Just, let's, I would just, I would. What, da- dang fine summations, Mark. <laughs> what I was thinking, I was like, you know, in your role, you and since you are a superior, you're probably seeing the next generation come up, and you're able to see what is the future of not only just the business side, but also the military side. You're probably seeing mm-hmm. natural born leaders, mm-hmm. but also ones that you that need a little bit of push and a little oomph and just to make just to make it that much better so i agree so at some point five ten thirty years down the road somebody young is going to come to you and ask for mentorship and you're going to explain you'll be able to point them to this podcast of course um, and you're going to think about that. This podcast from 30 years ago. Yeah. They Here's might not even have podcasts in 30 years. <laughs> it's going to go right I to the brain. I hope so. <laughs> um, 
But it, it's funny because, you know, you think about how you reached out to those people to talk about, um, you know, uh, about being more comfortable just having a genuine conversation and being in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I think the first thing that I hear you say is I am self-aware enough to, to realize that I, I, I want to be better at this. So. so to put a bow on this episode... This cigar is really fucking good, by the Ooh. way. It is really good. Also, if if in 30 years from now that is the case, uh, we'll be on episode uh, 1684 <laughs> if we do one episode a week between now and then. Okay, so, so you've got to make it to 86. I'm not making it to 86. <laughs> I've got to make it to 60-something. Maybe. Um, I'll be over 55. <laughs> You'll be him. I'll be him. You will. <laughs> so, wow. I'll be 20 years older than you are now. Yes. Think about that. Dang. Okay. So, so to put this whole show, wrap it up in a nice bow, do you have any parting words for anybody out there listening on what they can do or what they need to do in a role that, that they might not think they are leader, but they secretly are? I, I, uh, I'm going to say this with a slight bit of cringe, but he hits the nail on the head every time he sends it out. It's a Mike Willinghamism. Oh, oh God. I and, cringed. And I agree with it despite that fact. I love, <laughs> In lieu of. I love Mike. I'm just kidding. But anyways. <laughs> I do too. Um, it's, it's simple. And admittedly, I kind of got it from him. Uh, be intentional. It's that simple. I think we just got our show name. Be intentional. Be intentional. I, I always expand Mike because Mike never quite gets the point right. I think you live your life being uh, intentional and specific with mm-hmm. what you're doing. Everything, what, everything we've talked about, consistency, uh, logic, uh, margin, I mean, across the board, everything that we've discussed. Soldier care, caring for the people around you. Um, uh, what do you choose to do with your time? be intentional yeah and and it checks out obviously mike is not the first person to ever say be intentional but he is the person that i see say it the most uh but i i totally agree with him he'll make you uh, think he's the first one to say it yeah well he puts the nice little signature under it every time uh, but i i agree with it and uh yeah i mean everything that you do uh, approach it with intent yeah and uh you know, it might not always shape out the way that you think that it, it's going to when you start, but if, if you're intentional about it and you, you give pretty much anything you do, the right amount of care, the appropriate amount of, uh, of attention and effort, you, you're probably not going to be disappointed with the result. Yep. Amen. At least that's been my experience. So, All right. Show five of leadership. This was a great one. This one five or six. I'm trying to think. So we had seven. So we had Tim and Mike, Mike at the same time. Then we had Dr. Chris. Dr. Smith. Then we had Nigel. Steven. And this is five. Steven. Yeah, so you're five. Yep. All right. He's the one for the pinky. So who's six? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I'll have to think about Kevin's that. Kevin's got a, a friend that he recommends. If somebody's got a good, wants to sit down and talk about leadership stuff, much like this one, uh, I always warn people who want to come on and talk leadership, um, it's not a lot of BS. No, these are, these are some of the more serious shows that <laughs> the, we do. Serious. But if you want to come and sit down and um, submit to the Aaron Mark grilling on leadership, <laughs> um, please, please let us know. Yeah. And I'm, Josh held up well. 
I'd be you, down for it. You did awesome, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. If you do that, uh, come prepared. <laughs> Bring cigars. Bring cigars. And the beer, man, that beer. Holy shit. I'm glad that you enjoyed that. That beer worked well for both of them, but r- really this one. That old mad joy, man. Oh, my man. boys, great raft brewing down in Shreveport, Louisiana. That porter. Who Oof. would have thought that Baltic porter would hit the spot? I love me a good porter. That was, oh, yeah. you see, I've been like just a snippet savoring left. it with, with this little bit left. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I brought it back for you. Yeah, the Killer Bee is a great cigar. Oh, I'm so it? glad we got these in-house now. Can't wait. Can't wait this for is, these things to be out. Yeah. I mean, I like the craft, but the craft no was offense, good. Yeah. Killer Bee is... Yeah, I don't... I don't uh, I'm not going to speak to the West End business side. I don't know when they're going to hit the shelves because we got to allocate some shelf space for them. Yeah. But they'll, they're coming, that's for sure. The the Black Works mm. is something that I will... I will move something off a shelf to get those on. Mm. Like... I have no qualms about that. I'm sure that Joe is ready to get them out himself. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. So. Because we're all oh, Blackworks yeah. fans. Big time. We're fanboys yes. all the way. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, it was a good one. Another one in the books. Another one in the books. Yep. All right. We will see uh, everybody next week. Thank you, Josh, for all that. And uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right. We'll be good. Yeah, we'll be see everybody next week. Stay sharp.